0: get high stepping
1: Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show for our financial hour. Joining us, Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group.
2: Okay, this is on vocals, um, Bert Yanch, J-A-N-S-C-H. He was an English uh, folk uh, performer from kind of the folk music revival in England uh, in the Late 50s through early 70s, um, he was in a group called Pentangle and there was another person in that group named Sandy Denny. She was actually in a group called Gay and she was a very tragic figure, uh, died of a drug overdose. Incredible voice Um, and there's actually a pedal steel guitar in the background And that's Red Rhodes. Red Rhodes uh, was a California pedal steel player that really kind of came up in that Bakersfield uh, scene, I think. And then he later kind of went other musical directions, one of which was he did an album with a guy named Michael Nesmith. Well, he would perform live with him. Michael Nesmith, was an original member of a group called the Monkeys, which uh, you know they were as big as the Beatles for a while. I mean, and anyway, so so Red Rhodes, um, Michael Nesmith wrote some incredible songs, um, and you know the guy was just a great songwriter. Uh, he wrote a lot of the hits. If you go back and listen to some of the monkeys' songs, um, you realize that they weren't just some boy band, uh, pop, little group. Uh, hold on. Here's a Michael Nesmus song. This is quite good. Uh, let me uh, send this to you, sweetheart. You know I love you so much.
1: You're talking to me.
2: Yeah. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, play that one. This is a, this is a, and I think the Monkees actually did this song. This is about Red Roads and the fact that he really liked to be with really good songwriters. That's Red Roads right there. This is a Michael Nesmith song.
3: Her name was Joanne. And she lived in a meadow by a pond And she touched me for a moment With a look that spoke to me of her sweet love I saw as she went a most hopeless situation for Joanne and the man in the time that made them both run.
2: All right. So why do I do this? Because I have to. I can't not let these low hanging pieces of fruit go uneaten. Sorry. Let's do what the show's all about. Elizabeth gets real impatient when I get off on the music thing. All right. Economy moving at Goldilocks pace. So tell me something I don't know. There better be something in here that was worth me
4: getting off the music gig to deal with this. Uh, oh, it's worth it. Okay. <laughs> no, here's, here's the thing. If you're feeling overly optimistic, you go and read like read like a zero hedge. If you're feeling you know overwhelmed with like all the bad news, you go read Jeremy, Jeremy Siegel. Siegel. Yeah, uh, they but, don't run him on zero hedge. Forever. No, no. Uh, so, so this right, it's a good point. <laughs> it's
2: like people publish the stuff that they kind of think, you know. <laughs> and you can find
4: something to go with any mind yeah. you could you could yes. Uh, so th- this is a it's a weekly uh, blog. Uh, with Jeremy Siegel, this one, this one I really like because he he says stuff in a way, he, he puts it kind of like a, you know, almost like in a Warren Buffett, you know, kind of simplistic way, but there's a lot of meat behind it. Um, okay. Now, Siegel, he's he's what you would call a, a, a perma-bull. I mean, he's uh, he always... Really He's always optimistic, um, and he's always looking for you know markets to well, go I mean, up. You know,
2: life is short. I mean, why not just look at the good side all the yeah. time?
4: Yeah. Now I mean, he 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 really went off the rails about six months ago, uh, criticizing the Fed in a big way. You yeah. know, for what they were doing. I mean, he was he was very upset with how they were uh, act, I mean, what the actions they were taking, but this um, first he starts off talking about the first week in the market this year. Um, talking about the, the sell off in tech stocks. Um, and he, he attributes a lot of that to profit taking. Um, and I think that that's a valid point. Um, but well, except, uh,
5: the only problem is that, uh, Nvidia is up like nine percent year to date. The, the other, some of the other tech names, or most of the other magnificent seven, or there was some profit taking. Yeah, so, but Nvidia just seems to be the the golden child right now. So this this day port- another
2: one, Palo Alto Networks. I mean, the market's <laughs> getting crushed today. It's up two and a half percent. You know there are certain things, uh, AI type things, CrowdStrike, mm-hmm. some of these companies sure. we don't own them, but um, those things are just going right ahead. And doing their deal, they don't give a rat to, you know, what, what the market's doing.
4: Just, you know, bullish, baby. And that's the thing. I mean, you have momentum. Uh, eventually, you know, you have reversion to the mean, but momentum can run for a long time. A long time. Um, but a lot, this, sometimes this, it
2: takes 20 years for it to go back to the main. so in the meantime somebody's making some money
4: it says uh, in, in one of the recent uh, releases so average product productivity growth in 2023 was around two and a half percent wages were up 4.1 percent year over year subtract those two that figures keep
2: uh, going that way yeah
4: subtract those two figures and you have an inflation impulse of just 1.6 percent below the fed's two percent target yeah um he, he's he's <coughs> talking about trying what's, to can see what's, that the
2: numbers are actually starting to
4: come into what the yeah. fed wants and what's baked into the market already yeah um so he says, I will uh, uh, re- I will reiterate my take from year-end. Everyone's focused on how many rate cuts are priced into the Fed Fund's futures market and how we need to have six cuts to have a good 2024. I totally disagree with that, he says. Yeah. The key point from the December FOMC meeting was that Powell was being more flexible and willing to cut rates if we have weakness. If real economic growth stays strong, the Fed could keep rates exactly where they are, and we could have strong equity markets. So you look at fundamentals and valuations. Um, you know, he's he's saying he's expecting you know eight to ten percent you know price appreciation. He thinks. That smaller, uh, you know, small cap value stocks and some of these other areas that have gotten beaten up so bad could be in the fifteen percent range. We we'll, we don't know. We'll see. Well, the problem but, with small cap value,
2: it's a l- much less liquid yep. market. So, I've seen a stock go from ten to three, back to eight or nine that would be considered small cap value because two or three buyers pull back and it's not a hundred buyers that pull back. It's like two or three big buyers and the market becomes very illiquid. Illiquid means, price down (laughs) yeah that's right that's what that's what illiquid means that's that's a
5: euphemism for a stock decline yeah it's like the
2: it's like the word volatility (laughs) yeah volatility (laughs) means drop it doesn't mean up and down yeah and and the way we use it volatility means down (laughs) And, and and so therefore you know the 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 small cap value universe is going to be somewhat limited. Mm-hmm. It'll even be more limited than small cap growth because the growth sure. draws the junkies in and the momentum junkies and the small cap value. We're talking about having to wait. That's right. And on a, on, on a, a $300 million market cap stock
4: to start moving.
2: That's hard to do.
4: Right. but, When you have a market like what's happened this past year, you have areas that were beaten down for, uh, and sometimes for good reason. You know, you look at small caps and what they did. Well, small cap stocks are more interest rate sensitive uh, because they they need Um, access. uh, And so with interest rates going up. If they're a borrower. If they're a borrower. Um and so sometimes there are reasons uh, that something's gone down but what we saw last year in a lot of these things and we were you know we were in there buying not not necessarily the small cap arena but it was you know larger more mature businesses that throw off good cash flow that sometimes the market doesn't care and the and that's the thing in the short run the market doesn't care if we're in there buying or not but eventually fundamentals start carrying the stock. Um, And while you're waiting for that, you know, you're still getting paid dividends on a dividend-paying stock. That's right. Um, But that's very important for the retirement
2: investor. You can jump around from one asset class to another, but don't forget the fact that these asset classes are not like, Icons on a screen in a video game. Yeah. They are real life companies trading between real life people. They may be packaged up into an ETF, which makes it look like it's kind of plug and play. But there are real markets out there that that have to go up and down based on actual people buying and selling. And some markets are more liquid than others, meaning it's easier to get in and out of large amounts of stock in because there's are just more buyers and, and sellers of the bigger names than there are of the smaller names. And so if you're going to buy a small cap value, you better kind of look at it like you're making a business decision to own some less liquid. Some of these stocks would be better. If there weren't any, if they didn't even trade, yeah, you know, maybe you could buy and sell them once a year. Cause in the meantime, a lot of that trading that they do up and down and back and forth, it isn't really good for the company. Somebody's making some money, but I almost think the stock market wasn't designed for some of those kinds of companies because the illiquidity can really harm, uh, the underlying company, especially if they're trying to borrow money and, right. you know, they get shut out of these markets. Some companies are better off being non-liquid. Mm-hmm. Buy and sell once a year. Buy, you know, get everybody lined up to buy and sell. And then here comes the day. If you want to trade your shares, you can do it on November 14th. Here's the fair value. Yeah. Today. Here's the fair value.
5: Buy it, take it or leave it. Sounds like real estate to me. Like Sort um, of.
2: You yeah, let's say only it's, care every, about it's every once every six care. months. I don't know. Some of these things should not solve. trade on the market. Mm-hmm. Now, that they do, if you're an investor who's got uh, the ability to stomach some things and can handle seeing them down in your portfolio, and you just choose not to look at you, you'd be better off not having them in your portfolio. Put them in your lockbox and own that stuff. That's a tough thing to own. Mm-hmm we don't buy as much of that stuff because there's certain unique characteristics that the average investor right. has a problem with so we tend to buy things that are more liquid you know you know what the dividends are going to be you mm-hmm. you kind of know what the trading history of the company is and there's plenty of buyers and sellers
4: right so if if you look at the so it was a, it was a Ben Carlson, uh, uh, post it was an asset allocation quilt. And that's one of those, uh, it's, it's got all the different asset classes, different colors, you know, the asset class is the same color. And what it shows is one year, something's a top performer. The next year it might be the worst performer. And then everything in between, it just moves all over the place, the volatility of various sectors. Um, and, you look over the last couple years, uh, you know, like uh, commodities in 2022. Commodities was the best performer in 2022. It was the worst performing sector in 2023. Um, that provides opportunities for the investor that's willing to do some research because. If you're actually looking at fundamentals and valuation on things um, you know you look at some of these you know large cap stocks uh, you know tech that did so well last year you know, valuations are just off the charts on some of them some of them they've gone up a lot but they actually valuations aren't that bad there's some that are just ridiculous though so if you're if you're researching what you own and let's say you you own some of these things you If you have a 401k and you have the certain mutual funds in the 401k, go on Yahoo Finance and look at the internal holdings of that fund. See what it has. We, we, we do this all the time. If you don't want to spend the time doing it, we'll do it. We can come in and see us. We'll do it for you. We'll show you what that owns, and then you look at the other funds in there. You look at the overlap. You're going to be surprised at how much some of these things overlap and how concentrated you actually are in some of these things that <coughs> – have run up, not just in terms of price, but valuation. Valuation's what really matters, because valuation's where you get your risk or your opportunity. You know, if something's gone way, you know, way up, gone up way more than what their earnings have, or the fundamentals have, then that's where you've got more embedded risk. And what you should be doing as an investor is constantly going back, looking at the valuations. If something gets overpriced, you take some profits, move into some other things where where it looks reasonable. That's proper long term investment. You know, just <laughs> kind of basics. You know what you own, um, but with a a fund, you actually have to do some digging to see what's inside of that fund. Don't just. Most people
2: would simply rather not know. Yeah. I mean, that's for somebody else to worry about, right? Uh, the fund manager. Is supposed that's to worry right. About I, that. I talked to a guy that had seven figures, well into seven figures, in a uh, some kind of a profit sharing plan, and and I said, "Well, what is it in?" And he said, "Well, it's it's with Vanguard, okay? Vanguard's got like three hundred different funds. I have no idea." I said, so you've had this for years. Yeah, I don't know what it's invested in. This is true of actually more people than it's not true of. Mm-hmm. They have basically sort of made the determination that the investing business is sort of a black art, that it uh, is, a, 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 as George Soros called it, the alchemy of finance. He, he wrote a book called that, which is Interesting, given George Soros's nature. But it was this idea that uh, alchemy is sort of a black art. It's, it's like a witchcraft sort of thing. And many um, professional investment advisors thrive on the public for whom they invest money thinking like that. I am brilliant. You have to have your money with me. Bernie Madoff stole a lot of money from people, basically telling them I'm I'm sort of a genius and uh, I'll give you the privilege of putting your money with me and don't ask too many questions.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's right. You you should ask questions. You should understand, um, and your advisor should be able to explain it to you in a way that a lot you of them understand. Can't. A lot of them can't. Yeah.
1: You know, they they
2: don't know what it is. In fact, I almost think these days, sometimes you're better off as an advisor, just being a salesman and wearing certain clothes and looking and dropping certain phrases, looking a certain way. And people think, oh, that guy's cool. I'll let him have my money rather than telling people what's really going on. Yeah. (laughs) What's really going on with your money. They don't really want to know. Chad GPT. Yeah. There just there are advisors stuff. I've known in this business that picked up a lot of assets because they were sort of correct, connected to the right people who would say, you ought to be with this guy. I'm not going to tell you why, but you should just be with him. And that's, that's the way a lot of the business works.
1: You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show with Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill, and our host Tom Dupree. If you don't know what you own in your portfolio call us we can help 859-233-0400 you can also schedule an appointment with us directly on our homepage. there's a book now button come see us we got another segment coming up stay tuned
2: hi this is tom dupree A few months ago, we began publicly predicting lower interest rates. At the time, it seemed like a strange thing to predict, given that some of the most well-known names on Wall Street were saying the opposite. Events have proved us correct. If you disregarded our call and kept money in cash and short-term obligations like CDs and money funds, you've left quite a bit on the table. We warned against becoming complacent. When the Federal Reserve begins to cut rates, will drop quickly. We were right. To find out what we think the next move is, call Dupree Financial Group at eight five nine two three three zero four hundred and make an appointment with us. Also, be sure to listen to the Tom Dupree Show on News Radio six thirty WLAP and your favorite podcast platform.
3: Hard to learn their song Serenade the weekend squire who just came out to mow his lawn Another Pleasant Valley Sunday Charcoal
1: Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show for our financial hour. Joining us, Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group.
2: You know, uh, so we talked about, we started off, well, we started off with Led Zeppelin and Burt Yance, them stealing that Burt Yance song called Black Waterside, and then we did Burt Yance and Red Roads, and Red Roads played pedal steel on a Michael Nesmith album and Michael Nesmith played in the monkeys and so this is a song uh, that the monkeys did that you know this song was written by Jerry Goffin that's Carol King's husband and uh, they also wrote that song like the first song Carol King ever wrote she was probably a teenager and uh, she was an Prolific songwriter. I didn't know she wrote so many songs for the monkeys. Of course, Michael uh, Nesmith was sort of a kind of reserved introvert. He might have been considered sort of the George Harrison of the Monkeys. They were a boy band. You had Davy Jones out front, Mickey Dolan's, you know, they had their own cartoon show, the monkeys, and all this. And Michael Nesmith was sort of the brooding kind of quiet guy like George Harrison, always about halfway ticked off, you know, cause he was, t- you know, having to put up with these idiots. And, uh, but then in the, in, you know, in the long run, he was the real songwriter and he, uh, started a group after the monkeys called the first national band. And he really did write some great songs. And, I'm always drawn to the songwriters. Carol King is a genius. She just knew how to write popular tunes. Where did she come from? That place in New York, they call it the Brill Building, where all these songwriters were there. Carol King, um, uh, the one that sang You're So Vain, Carly, Carly Simon. Simon. Um, there was a woman named Laura Nero, L-N-O y no n y r o laura nero she wrote a bunch of songs that other people did the fifth dimension so it's all about songwriting i mean really that's what it gets down to performance is great and here's the other thing don't plagiarize
1: yeah so wasn't this song the theme of the tv show friends was it no
5: no that was i'll be there for you by i think the rembrandt it
1: sounds similar
5: well, I, I know the monkeys.
2: If I could get a copy, or uh, wonder if there any of their old TV shows are uh, somewhere online. I bet so. I used yeah. to watch them on. Rebound. Oh yeah, it was TV. like where well, they were on TV. Yeah. Uh, what was the show? Uh, what was that channel TV? What uh, TV
1: Land? TV yeah. Land, yeah,
2: yeah. They, they would have probably been on there along with Andy Griffith,
1: and the. You're talking about the monkeys, not the yeah. not friends.
5: No, yeah, the monkeys. <laughs> Give it enough time, it'll be
1: on
2: TV. So DB the monkeys <laughs> were probably their show was in the late sixties. Yep. You know, it would have. And anyway, um, that's before they grew yeah, their hair they, out. They, long yeah, listen, back then. I'll talk the whole hour if I want to on songwriting. <laughs> you know what? This investment stuff is welcome boring. to our financial <laughs> hour. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it, yeah, okay. It goes up, it goes down. It pays dividends. What else you want to know?
1: <laughs> Eight five nine two do three three four hundred. We you
2: know we don't do this for free, but you get a little bit of music history along with it. All right, go ahead. What do you want to talk about?
4: I want to cap off uh, the last segment just to say there are valuation discrepancies in the market. There always are. Um, you look at. Right now, you compare just broadly, you know, large, the S&P 500 large cap has a forward P.E. of a price-to-earnings ratio of 19.5. Mid-cap forward P.E. about 14.4. Small cap forward P.E. about 14.1. There are areas of the market that are trading at valuations that they were several years ago. Um, and when you actually look at specific companies, the companies have been paying down debt, increasing revenue, increasing dividends in a lot of cases. So the fundamentals have been improving buying back Uh, Oh,
2: corporate America is so much better off than it was 25, 30 years ago. That's right. And so,
4: and, but some parts of it
2: aren't, but other parts of it are
4: so just is to, cap off what we were talking about before the reason we're talking about is that there are opportunities in the market uh you just have to pay attention to what's going on use common sense just you know you're just looking at some does something look expensive or not is it a good company it's it's complicated but the concepts are not Um, it's 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 something that everybody can understand
5: but you have to look at the at the stats, I guess, on the company, the information about the company long enough to be able to make that simple simple conclusion. Yeah. Is it a buy, Do you how do you like them, Louie, Right? Yeah. Do you well, like them or I not? Mean, you know, you base that on
2: having looked at a lot of companies. Right. Right. You can't. This is not a thing you can pick up overnight, and that's why a lot of people use investment advisors because those are typically the people that realize that know what they don't know. There are people who say, oh, I can do this myself. I'm going to take it over. I'm a smart doctor. Therefore, I'll be a smart investor. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: That is not always a well-informed way to do things. I'm not going to use any other words to describe it, but uh, but you are going to think them, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, but the, the, a lot of times the only way people learn is by screwing something up, and then they even don't learn. Then, um, wisdom is not easy to acquire but you better
5: get it before you blow yourself up. <laughs> yeah. That's
2: all I would say. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
5: Well, and there are some people out there, but they're the exception. I mean, most people, just because you're smart about one part of, of your life, you've had a lot of training, a lot of practice doing, uh, doing something, doesn't mean you can apply that to, to another part of your life. How many Investing geniuses do you know that made a lot of
2: money in one area of their lives and they decided they would become – They'd get in the horse business exactly, and uh, you know they
5: and they saw what a genius they really were, right? Yeah,
2: that's right. <laughs> and um, and they end up spending a lot of money because most people that come into Lexington with a wad of cash earned somewhere else, they're not going to be out there buying the thirty and forty thousand dollar horse. You know they're they're going to be in competition for the 300 400 500 million dollar horse uh and they're trying to build a, a a stable that way because now they can talk to their friends back in wherever they live about their horses in kentucky and you know there are a lot of people smiling just like you that are uh breeders and uh folks around here uh, that uh, stand stallions and and have brood mares that love it that these people want to come in and spend a lot of money on horses the stock market's the same way guys it's it's not you know if you buy only the uh, the brand names you'll get brand name performance which sometimes is great sometimes it isn't but there's no real thought that goes into uh, your investment decisions. So.
4: Well, and the other thing that research allows you to do, uh, it's, you look at the noise that's out there right now. There, there is so much fear mongering out there. Now we're not blindly optimistic. <laughs> we're, we're actually, you know, uh, you know, we're we're blind, optim- but we're not optimistic. We're skeptical optimists. Um, you have to check things, um, and when you're doing something all on your own, you it's an echo chamber. That's right. Um, that, and you that's will the problem
2: with only using yourself as your own counsel. Plus, the problem is if if you work with somebody else, a group. You can always blame bad investment decisions on another member of the group. <laughs> if it's just you, there ain't anybody else to point the finger. That's right, at. And, and that's bad. You know, kind of sucks. You, you, no, seriously. If you have a group, or you know people you're talking to, th- then sometimes there are mental mistakes that you're blind to about your own thinking and you have biases and you're not going to uncover them unless you're with other folks.
4: Right. Right.
5: Yeah, know thyself. You've got to know what you, uh, uh, what your biases are so you can overcome them. And that's, uh, that's where a group that can keep you out of that echo chamber where you actually have people who will call you out on that. But I mean, and that's the whole idea of having investments by committee is, Somebody may be in love with a company because they like their product, but it doesn't make sense for other reasons. And uh, you get some honest feedback, you end up making good decisions. You can still love the product, but not necessarily the stock.
4: Well, here's the other thing it gives the the client an opportunity to is we can be the bad guy, if you will. I mean, here's here's what I mean. There, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, that parents are spending retirement savings to help boomerang children. It's talking about adult children that have moved out, moved back in, and they're helping them to their own detriment. Um, when you're managing, doing your own investments, you're your own sounding board. Uh, again, there's there's nobody else to blame. You you have to be the bad guy. Um, if and we've we've told this to clients before that you know take care of yourself first, uh, and we can you know lay out you know a rational explanation of if you spend this much, this is this could be the result on the portfolio. Right. Now that that can be just regular spending. It could be gifting to kids. It can be all that. So it it's not. Just it, like I said, we you can our clients can use us as the bad guy, if you will, to somebody that's might be coming to them and, and asking we've done for money for yes, and
2: gotten fired for it, right? <laughs> we, we, but it's a it, thankless task it, it sometimes, doesn't always,
4: but we're, we're fiduciaries, mean
2: we're going to last as somebody's if they have a, a bias towards
4: uh. Helping
2: someone that maybe should be helped in a different way, uh, and they want to make it a financial thing uh, to the uh, exclusion of their own financial health, and, and we call them out on it, and it costs us the account uh, because we did that. So be it. Mm-hmm. It may end up happening, and and it's happened before.
4: Yeah. So there was a, a recent poll. Uh, this, this number was amazing to me. Found that nearly half of individuals aged nineteen to twenty nine lived with their live currently with their family. That's the highest percentage since the nineteen forties. Wow. Uh, there's another report said uh, almost seventy percent of parents with adult children have made financial compromises to support them. I mean, all all parents can say that, right? But you're you're seeing this. Trend, and I think I mean this is this is a fault of you know schools, uh, you know educate early education that kids kids these days you know what younger people they don't understand finance they're taking on too much debt you know they take on huge student loans to get a, a job that's low paying that they're never going to pay off the debt so they're just it has to start at a young age. Um, but you, the parent, if you're, say you're our client, we're a fiduciary to you. Uh, you are our client and our job is to try to get you through retirement with this, the, the assets that you have now. If you've planned for that, that maybe you're going to be gifting to kids, uh, that that's a different story. You can plan for these things over time, but <clears throat> put the put the mask on your the oxygen mask on yourself first. There are ways to finance other expenses that the kids could do. Uh, you can't finance retirement. Um, it, it's just you have what you have. You have the ability to earn or not, um, and that's that's just. The fact it's just a, it's a simple numbers game, but you just gotta apply discipline, long term perspective, and planning to it.
5: Well, and be aware that as you get older, you have less time to recover from either market losses or if you take some money out of your account and help your child. And, uh, you know if the if the market doesn't cooperate, you may not get that money back because you don't have enough time remaining until you need it to to support you. And the article doesn't even talk about the other issue, which is the parents of these, uh, or the grandparents, I guess, in this scenario, where they're trying to help their grand, their parents as well as their kids at the same time. They're mm-hmm. getting squeezed. They're called the sandwich generation for that reason. But it's, you just got to make sure that you're not uh, helping others at, at uh, to the detriment of yourself. I mean, to where you won't be able to retire or won't, uh, won't survive. Well, I really. don't,
2: you
5: know, we... Kind of help
2: people with retirement, but I tell you, if you have a good, if you, I don't care how old you are, if you, if you can still earn an income doing something, you should continue to do it. People, th- I have friends, they're my age, 60s, late 60s, they've quit working, they don't do anything, they travel, you know, that's stupid to me. I mean, I'm sorry. If you're retired and that's what you're doing, great. I just don't agree with you. I think you you should try to keep earning some sort of income because life is hard. It can get hard at times. That money could come in handy for you somewhere down the line. I think some people, they just said, okay, I was an attorney all these years. I don't know about finances. Let's stick it in an annuity and forget about it. This is the province of people who are smarter than me. It's not what I do. And then if I don't, if it doesn't work, I can blame the financial advisor or the doctor. You know, people blindly go by what a doctor says. They never do the research. It's really something that you should do. And yet 999 out of a thousand people that hear what I say are going to say, Tom, you know, that's not what I do. I follow uh, expert advice. Problem is, the expert advice changes. Go look in Barron's, the Wall Street Journal. They're saying own bonds, and they're saying don't own bonds. They're saying own stocks, then don't own stocks. Those are experts. It's always changing, you know. (sighs) Whatever.
1: (laughs) Live the life you want to live. And do what you enjoy doing but is the you, bottom you line. Keep, keep your mind active. Some people hate
2: their jobs and they change quit. jobs. Yeah, go do something different. You can always, I, I just people say, "I there's nothing I know how to do." That just seems goofy to me. You, you always know how to do something. You got to maybe just start at the very basic thing you could. I mean, if I didn't do this, I would probably start at McDonald's or maybe even. I don't know, those people at Waffle House look like they're working too hard. I don't know if I could ever get the way they do the orders at Waffle House, but at least I might try. Somewhere, something basic. You enjoy talking to people work too my much. Yeah, I'd, I'd be turning around talking to Can you see to
5: Tom as a barista at Starbucks? That's a possibility, but I mean, my... I couldn't keep up with my that. My ethnic pace, I and you.
2: genetic makeup would probably keep me out of that job. <laughs> but
5: anyway, I...
1: I'm you'd be, you'd be sitting at the table in the lobby entertaining the patrons. Like. So, and
2: I'd get sick of making lattes. Now, <laughs> if you really wanted me to make hash browns all day long and you know eggs and – I love Waffle House. Oh, do I love it. I'd eat there every day if I could. But it's like my uncle – who said, you know, I like scotch. I drink it every day, all day long. Problem is, you get drunk. <laughs> eat, eat McDonald's all or eat uh, Waffle House all day long, you're going to gain weight.
1: We're going to close it there. You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show with Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill, and our host, Tom Dupree. If you would like to learn what you own in your portfolio, if you don't already know, we are here to help. 859 233 Zero 0400. You can also book an appointment directly on our homepage. You've been listening to our Financial Hour and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. Mr. Green, he's
0: so serene He's got a in every room